Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 to 19. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 to 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Father, I pray for that miracle of being carried along by Your Holy Spirit, protecting my mind and my lips from misrepresenting Your Holy Word, whether in the way I say it and especially in what I say. And to the extent that I and my sin do fail, protect the hearts and the minds of Your people from it. Minister by Your Holy Spirit Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. This exhortation in our text this morning, it it does not fit real well with our postmodern, every man for himself, American, independent type of mindset. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, we have two weeks in this text. Last week was the first week where we discussed what is New Testament local church leadership. Which was I found to be crucial in order to say anything this week about submission. And so this week is the second part. Submission to that leadership. So just very briefly, it's actually just it's worth it to get the whole context and hear last week's sermon if you hadn't heard it. But last week's sermon, in in a nutshell, we saw that in the New Testament, local church leadership is called this office of elders. uh, Slash meaning, not a different office, same office, also called overseer. Where we get our English word bishop. uh, Slash, same office of more the function of what are they doing? They're shepherding People, that's that pastoral office. There's one office of leadership called elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors. We saw that all the churches in the New Testament had elders, plural, and we saw that their function was mainly twofold. I mean, pretty much, I don't know what else is not covered under that. To rule. I mean, dads rule in the household, right? You've got, you got to make rules. You, you take charge. You make sure things go in order. You want free, people free to operate underneath that in your house. To rule and to teach the Word of God. 
That's what we saw last week. Now, concerning that leadership in the local church, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay. The Greek words, obey and submit, mean obey and submit. Now, what's obey? Obey means there's direction. Go along with it. Now, look, last week, just remember that sermon if you heard it. In the context, obey what? One of the main functions of leaders is not to give their own thoughts from the Bible. It is to preach the Bible. Okay, And as you hear that, as you hear the Gospel, as you hear the imperative from the Gospel, believe, trust, obey, walk, persevere, obey that. Submit, it's pretty much obey, isn't it? Except, I, I think it brings in that connotation more of a disposition in your heart too. Because we all know that you could, you could obey outwardly and inwardly just grumble, 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 unsubmissive. And if you're raising children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. See, submission, it implies a disposition that flows from trust. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to follow that Leadership. They're out for my good. To the extent you don't believe that, it's really hard to submit, isn't it? See, it is submission is this, got to get it in. It's a something of a disposition that doesn't flow from a legalistic outward thing where you have to do it. There's something about your heart that says, I'm happy to. I trust this leadership. For instance, say, say you're uh, Michelle Kwan. You want to win the gold medal and you try year after year. I love Michelle Kwan and she's the best ever, but never won Olympic gold. But she tried. You know what that means? That means they, they get a coach. They get a coach who's going to be rough on them. They get a coach who's going to say, get your bottom on the ice, 4.30 every morning, I'll meet you there. And then the coach pushes them. Why would these people submit to such leadership? Because they want to win the gold medal in the Olympics. That's why they do it. It's coming from, that submission is coming from a heart of trust. It's what obey and submit, I think, ultimately mean. Now, the text says, obey and submit. Why? Because they, the leaders, the elders, keep watch over your souls. That's why. Okay, simple. That's meant, when he wrote this, that's meant to be a blessing, not a curse. And as we saw last week, leaders in our text, or elders in all the churches, is always plural. For instance, Acts 14 
we saw, and when they had appointed, and this is in a number of different churches in different cities in the region of Galatia, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, plural elders in every church. Titus 1.5, Paul says to Titus, one of his Christian workers, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders, plural, in every town I directed you. One thing plural eldership does, it helps safeguard against the abuse of authority and power. If you have elders who are qualified, and we're not going to go through those qualifications again today, if you have elders who are qualified, they want a free depending on if it's a small church, a senior pastor or assistant pastors who would be higher. They want to free them to, to, to minister and to teach and to, and to rule and to govern the daily operations of a church. But they're also with them overseeing that. And to which you say, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that about God. Where do you get that? that we think that's totally a misinterpretation of Scripture. And ultimately... They're accountable to their fellow elders. But now think about this. Plurality of elders. If elders who are actually caring for the flock have to struggle over all kinds of issues in a church, what do we do about this situation? How do we make this work? Just just everyday stuff that makes churches work. Probably if they are going back and forth, arguing lovingly about stuff, what's the best wisdom, doing it biblically and prayerfully, they come up with a decision. That doesn't necessarily mean that they made the right choice. They're not infallible. But there is wisdom in an abundance of counselors. And, And elders are really wise when different segments of how a church works, if they elicit the opinions, the ideas, the wisdom of the congregation, or who would... That person may be very helpful here, very smart to get counsel. But the text says, for the most part, if you trust them in a plurality, going back and forth, and they come down as an elder board or group of leaders in the church... Okay, go with it now. Obey. That's what the text says. Follow their leadership. Now, I'm going to use a word that I get from the whole canopy of Scripture here. Let me re-say it. Follow them. Obey and submit. Here's the word. Unless, unless their direction is clearly against Scripture, especially on major points of doctrine. See, this is my interpretation. This, what interpretation means, what does the writer of Hebrews mean to communicate here? Let me just stop for a minute. If you guys, in, in your lives, 
I hope we all push for better communications with our wives or husbands or fellow workers or employees or employers, etc. Because communication isn't, isn't easy. How many times do you say something, you know what you mean, and you hear it come back at you, well, they just, they, they drew implications from that that no way do I mean. Are you with me? Let's not do that with this writer. So what I mean is this. This verse 17 is saying very clearly that the church should submit to godly leadership. Abusive leaders should be confronted and removed from office as elders. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to Pastor Timothy in Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, verses 19 to 21. Do not admit, allow a charge against an elder. Okay, okay. You're going to stop for a second before you read on. Because it is amazing how we're all sinful and how petty people can be, and they just got a grudge against an elder. Paul says, Look, you got someone just bringing a charge. Don't allow that. Don't make much of that. Okay, let's finish it. Do not admit a charge against an elder except, ooh, there's an exception here, except on the evidence of two or even three witnesses. Now it's becoming serious. As for those who persist in sin... Rebuke them in the presence of everybody so that the rest may stand in fear. And in the presence of God, Timothy, and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice or prejudging. Doing nothing from partiality. Okay. Now, so, what I'm going to do in the rest of the sermon, three points. First is this. I want to be clear on what submission to leadership in the local church does not mean. And then secondly, those two things we saw last week, I just give two examples of they rule, submit to rule and guidance. Those things that are saying we're going this direction, we're doing this, this needs to be done, we're, this is part of our protecting their rules, submit to their rule and submit to the other section. The preaching ministry of the church teaching ministry of the church. That's where we're going. So, first, what it does not mean. Submission and obedience to the elders in a local church, this church or any church biblically, it does not mean follow them blindly without thinking without questioning, and without seeking to be clear on where your leaders are leading you. You many times to make points crystal clear. You just use wildly extreme examples. This is the way I do it. Therefore, no true Christian is called to follow Jim Jones to Guyana and drink the poison. And I don't mean follow him up until the time the juice is passed out. The writing was on the wall years before that in this so-called Christian minister the way he started out. Okay? Bible! 
I think John Calvin, great reformer, pastor in Geneva, great expository preacher, says it well in his commentary on Hebrews when he wrote, the writer of Hebrews here speaks only of those who faithfully perform their office. For they who have nothing but the title, nay, who use the title pastors for the purpose of destroying the church, deserve but little reverence and still less confidence. Some leaders and their theology of leadership in the church have browbeaten and intimidated into fear many Christian people. Just obey us! We're in this office. God demands it. We have a special anointing. God has our ear in a way He doesn't have yours. We'll let you know the direction. Some have taken it so far to the direction over your life in how you do almost everything. You must get permission. And because these people are Christians and they come to Christ and that's the kind of setting they're under, I mean, they want to do what's right and they end up ultimately being abused and controlled and very miserable. There are numbers over the years, numbers upon numbers of Christian books written in Christian bookstores in order for people to read and find healing from abusive church leadership. And those books are addressing real life experiences of many people. There are leadership styles. There are leadership theologies that are just not biblical or Christ-centered, but instead they are manipulative, they're coercive, and they ultimately are an abuse because they are a use of people for their own means. They're a use of people so that these leaders can find in their own life significance and importance and status or ego. So, I could say this about that type of what I would... I've seen it so often. That type of abusive leadership. But this goes for any church. Whether it's that one, or let me just flip it over here. Even if a church is healthy, that its leadership structure is healthy, biblical, solid biblical teaching, loving care for people, not only even if part of the manifestation of that healthy leadership is that it is never wrong for the people, for the members to examine the Scriptures to see if their leadership and what they teach stands up to the Bible. Remember the Bereans. In the city of Berea, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now these Jews in Berea, now these Jews were more noble 
than those in Thessalonica. What made them more noble? Because they received the Word that Paul and them brought. They preached something, claiming something from Scripture and that Jesus is the fulfillment of it. They had their Bible. They had their Hebrew Scripture. He says they were more noble because they received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily in order to see if these things were so. As a senior pastor at Abundant Grace, main preaching pastor, I, I mean, I mean, I happily welcome interaction over everything I preach or anything I preach or say. Questions, clarification. Being the devil's advocate. That's just a way of, that's a way of coming to grips with something. It's a way of trying to understand. What are you really saying, pastor? In other words, okay, I hear that. It sounds kind of right there, but okay, I have this other portion of scripture. I have this text here. Okay, help me understand in light of what you said, how this scripture stands up. That is not. That is not, when that's done with a submissive spirit, that is in no way unsubmissive. That is your duty. And I'm going to tell you, just from makeup wise, I'm jumping up and down when people do that. I love it. It's so important for souls. Because Revelation, by definition, I am not infallible. By definition, I err. This book is inerrant. This book is infallible. The members are responsible, the text says, to submit. Therefore, what do you mean? Obviously meaning when fallible elders are about their daily business ruling, shepherding, teaching God's Word, especially over the essential doctrines and the essential commands to the way the Christian life is to be lived. Because ultimately, as we saw last week, it's not the elder's authority. Ultimately, it is God's authority mediated through fallible people called elders. That's what verse 17 is calling for when it says obey and submit. Listen to what Paul wrote to Titus, pastor. Chapter 2, verse 15, he said to Titus, Declare these things Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Okay. I understand that to mean if they were to disregard Pastor Titus when he's preaching those things from Paul, the New Testament, 
accurately, they are disregarding God when they do that. To obey, submit. Yeah, it sounds so easy. But, uh, but that's, why I'm, that's why this is my first point in the sermon. I'm making it muddy. Not so easy so far, is it? It's not so easy because all those books are written, in, and many of those books are written for very good reasons, for people to get healing from abusive church leadership because they've had real experiences. This is complex. Not just because of church history down the road. Obey and submit is complex because of what the Bible says. It's complex because of what we saw last week and in our Scripture reading this morning that the Bible says there, not might be, there will be elders who go wrong in their life and in their teaching. Remember, Paul gathers the leaders, the pastors, the elders from around the Ephesus area before he's not going to see their face anymore. He's going to get on a ship and that's it. He gathers them and he exhorts those elders, those leaders, and he says in verses 29 and 30 of Acts 20, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come. They will come in among you. Elders, not sparing the people, the flock. And from among your own selves, some of you are on the right track right now. But what's going to happen is this. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things in order to draw away the disciples after them. So that's crystal clear. There are elders, pastors, and shepherd type people who get way off and they manipulate the people for their own gain. Okay. Are we to obey them when that is happening, no matter what they're teaching, even if they're teaching false doctrine? No. That's the answer. No. So think of this writer of the book of Hebrews, what has he been doing? He knows there's teaching from teachers. Some blatantly non-Christian, but Christian Jews are buying into it. Called the Judaizers. And it's feeding into the flock. And he is standing up with this epistle, with this letter. The whole thing has been, Christ therefore reject what they're teaching. Christ reject false doctrine. Okay, if that's so, when the writer says, obey and submit to your leaders because they are keeping watch over your souls, he cannot be saying, always obey in everything those who are standing in the office of elder or pastor. Even when... They are preaching false doctrine on major issues or demanding obedience to unbiblical church practices. Okay. Now, let me, how am I going to say this? Think about this. 
if what I just said there is true of those special men, not chosen because they were special, special because they were chosen, the apostles, and then Paul, with a unique historical office that doesn't exist in the way that Paul was an apostle in the 11, okay? As revelatory spokespeople. I'm going to claim that what I just said is not only true of little peons down the road who we have a responsibility to filter to the people the Word, the prophets, the apostles. Just look back, please. Let's be adult, okay? I'm going to say everything I just said about Paul after he got the Gospel right is still true for him. Reject Paul! If he fails to preach Paul correctly. What do I mean? Turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Even if we... Let me give context. There are elder type, authority types, traveling evangelists from Jerusalem, professing Christians who believe in Jesus believe He's the Messiah, believe He died for sin, and they hated the implications of the way Paul was preaching it. They're called Judaizers. They're telling all these churches in the region of Galatia, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, and all these surrounding little towns where Paul went to evangelize with the Barnabas and they set up churches. And they're coming behind Paul saying, Paul got most of it right, but he forgot to tell you, you Gentiles, if you really want to ultimately be saved, you've got to go on and be circumcised and eat kosher and keep the Jewish festivals. Okay. And so Paul says, even if we himself. And I think he means here apostles. Even if we or an angel from heaven. Now watch how he doesn't mean a fallen angel. Okay. He's using hyperbole to make a point. If an angel from God were to come to you and preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we already preached to you. Let him be accursed. Anathema in the Greek meaning condemned. Okay, that's just, if that's true, this is what Paul's saying to these non-apostles, to these, to these Johnny-come-latelys, to Joe LeMay a couple thousand years later. It applies down the road to leadership and preachers. He says, as we have said before, and that means just right there, if that's true, <laughs> how much more is what he means. So now also, I say again, 
if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, which we have right here. Let him be accursed. The truth of God delivered in Holy Scripture is the standard of all true leadership. If from this pulpit I don't preach God's truth, that, with a clear mind, can be seen and understood on the pages of this book. Do not. You are under no obligation to obey it or to believe it. Neither I nor the elders here at Abundant Grace are the final authority. The Gospel, the Word of God, and the living, resurrected Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of His sheep. Now, in light of this, the Apostle Peter directly speaks or writes to the elders in his first epistle to shepherd them, to feed the flock of His people. And he's clear, don't use them. Don't, in other words, Take your office and use that for shameful gain or to fulfill some power-hungry vacuum over, that you need over people. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to read the first four verses. He writes, verse 3, So I exhort, I Peter, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Okay, don't miss it now. I exhort the elders. Here it is. Here's the verb, verse 2. Shepherd. I exhort you, elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but do it willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So, Peter just so blatantly said, by the Holy Spirit, Do not domineer over people who are under you. You're the caretaker, the lover, the helper, the for their souls. Literally domineer, it is the word lording it over. I think what I think what Peter means there is what we mean in our present day by spiritual abuse. Don't do that. The term in Greek, kata kure. Some of you know a little bit of Greek. You, you hear the word kurios, Lord. Got to over. Don't over Lord those under your charge. Now, this is amazing because he says, exercise, do this, oversight. That means care, good leadership, but not in a lording it over way. I think it just means, don't. 
This means those people who do that for their own gain and not at all with a repentant, walking in faith, servant's heart of those they have a responsibility to. Now, one missionary from years ago to China concerning leadership observed and wrote this, and I just commend it to you. Host is his name. He wrote, What is the essential difference between false and true Christian leadership? When a man in virtue of an official position in the church demands obedience of another irrespective of that other person's reason and conscience, this is the spirit of tyranny. When on the other hand, by the exercise of tact, and sympathy by prayer, spiritual power, and sound wisdom, one Christian worker is able to influence and enlighten another so that that other person, through the medium of their own reasonable faculties, thinking, and their own conscience, when they're led to change or alter one course and adopt another, that is true. Spiritual leadership. We who are elders are meant to tremble at Peter's exhortation here. Not lording it over, but being examples to the flock. Now, so that's what I do not mean. That's what I think the writer does not mean when it says obey and submit. But having said all that now, the New Testament and our text assumes and it affirms that all churches have elders slash shepherds who have responsibility to rule and to lead. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, so first, the, the rule. That comes in all kinds of stuff. What do you do with nursery? What do you do with this? What do you do with that? Who do we delegate this to? How do you spend money here? How do you sp- Okay, but I want to bring up something that is huge in the more healthy function of local churches that the church world, many, many, I'm so happy to see many, many, many churches like us and many, many churches that have been around 150 years had not done it and are starting to look at the Bible more closely. And they're starting to realize how we practice and what we do as church communities and families and holding one another accountable is not inseparable from the words of our mouth concerning the Gospel. What I mean is essentially this. is This whole book has been teaching us all the members of a church, including the elders, not just the elders. All of us, by covenant, have a responsibility to care for one another, to hold one another accountable in the fight of faith of the Christian life and how we live and what we think and how we believe. Elders are overseeing that. What I want to do is illustrate that. 
turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Part of ruling, part of the responsibility, and trust me, it's a heavy responsibility, is to help the whole congregation carry out this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What Paul's doing here, he, he's speaking, he's writing this to the whole church. The members, not just the elders, all have a responsibility in this thing called church discipline. Elders have the weighty responsibility to make sure when it needs be to be carried out. Start with verse 1. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans because a man is sleeping with his dad's wife. And you are arrogant! Funny word. Paul calls them arrogant. Because they know it. And they haven't done anything. He says, Ought you not rather mourn? Okay, Paul, what are you saying by the Holy Spirit as an apostle? Let him who has done this, the impl- let me just say this, the implication is clearly living this way unrepentantly, okay? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, who's going who's to lead in that? Ultimately, the elders have to lead in that and the congregations follow, submit. This, let's read on. In verse 3, he goes on. For though I, Paul, am absent in body, but I'm present in spirit, And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled together, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my Spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Down to verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Can now hear him? (laughs) Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, meaning non-Christians, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, meaning Christian. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging non-Christians? That's what he means by outsiders. But... Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. 
End quote. Note. The goal in that text is real love for that sinning, erring, professing Christian's soul. Extreme measures like this are part of elders watching over your souls of the congregation. I think the reason that the Holy Spirit in church history had the Apostle Paul lay out this process is to show this is the Holy Spirit's way of getting that brother back into the fold and ultimately so that he will on that final day prove to have been real and saved and not condemned to hell. See, instead of the church letting a professing Christian continue in open explicitly forbidden in the Bible, I'm saying that on purpose, sin that becomes known. In other words, not making up sins in our culture, like chew gum or go to movies. No. They're laid out like adultery, sexual immorality, drunkenness. Okay, those that are laid out, instead of just letting that go, which would what? It would give that Christian brother or sister... The idea that that's okay, I still have an assurance of my salvation. I'm a part of the church. I come every week, I'm affirmed, even though I'm living with my girlfriend and sleeping with her. Because I still take communion. The Holy Spirit is saying, care for that person's soul. He's not just saying it to elders. He's saying it to every member of His church in its local expression. And elders have a greater responsibility to see to it that it's carried out. That He is saying, care for the soul, that person. That's what the text says. So that His Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It is ultimately unloving for elders to just let that blatant, continuous, unrepentant of, repentant of lifestyle in a professing Christian go. Because the person is deceiving themselves. And it would be vicious to offer to that person good standing in the church as if you're okay, and you'll make it. You're helping them deceive themselves to eternal damnation. Obey your leaders. That could be really hard in church discipline situations like we just read. Why? Because there are close emotional ties, hopefully, to one another in a local church. makes it really hard. On an emotional level, some will just feel pity or sorry for a person. Let me just give the illustration. Okay, look, 
If I were raising my kids and what I cared about was only what they felt about me moment by moment, I would destroy them in 18 years. I want them to like me. I want them to love me. I don't want them to think bad about me. But they're going to be a tyrant because they ruled me and I destroyed their little soul. Okay, our kids are going to hate us anyway, guys and gals. So you might as well do what's right. And then when they turn 30, oh, they're going to love you. All right. Isn't that right, Karina? All right. Oh, wait, just stop. Why? Why is this so important to the Apostle Paul? Okay. Here's the other thing. We must understand that the Gospel, that's our treasure, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed to the unbelieving communities in which we as churches exist. It is being proclaimed to that sinning, erring, unrepentant brother who calls himself a Christian and has been baptized. And it is being proclaimed to we, the church professing believers, not just in with words. Never without words, but not just. But how we practice being a Christian as local churches. Paul sees a number of things, I think, to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior. And you start to say a little bit more than that. What does that mean? Just open the Bible. It teaches us. And you teach. He causes people whom He's saving to come alive to faith in Him. He does a heart transplant like the New Covenant promised. And the book of Hebrews confirms this is the New Covenant. I will place My law in your hearts. Dispositions change. Therefore, without perfection, which will never happen, there is fruit that Jesus says will prove whether you're real or not. Okay, you go on and on, right? You preach that way. And then, in the community, that person has family members members who are unsaved. They have work people they go to they are unsaved. They're living and having sex with someone they're not married to, for example, and it's known. That's what the church is about. That's the change. You've just preached negatively something about the true Gospel. And then you do it to the church. The evangelical world is filled with this confusion and people don't even know how confused they are. Because they see this happening totally, constantly undealt with. And the understanding of the Gospel gets confused. Paul is saying, so let me just make sure I want to be real clear. Paul is telling these people, he's telling us, hang out with, have dinner with, invite over. Friendship. Befriend and friendship evangelize. Unbelievers, go for it. Yes, unbelievers who, of course, by definition, are unrepentant, who are living in sexual immorality. They're drunks. They're dope addicts. They're con men. They do shady business practices. They swindle people out of money. They're clever. 
Hang out with them. Try to reach them. Invite them over to your house. Eat with them. Yes! The church ought to do that. But, to have someone who has come to a profession of faith that was received into the church by baptism in membership, meaning received, church says, they're a Christian. And then for them to once again turn and to live day after day, week after week, and when confronted, resist in a, in a biblically clear way that's unacceptable in their sin. It undermines the Gospel of Jesus Christ for which that community stands if it's not dealt with. And it deceives that person thinking they're okay. So I want to do, I'm going to, it may be a long sermon today. I'm going to read something for five minutes to give you, I want, I, I decide, I know it's going to take five minutes, but I, I want to help be clearer and clearer and clearer and give you an example of how this might work. What I'm going to read is from a, a small church in Florida. The reason I'm going to do it became it was public news about ten months ago. It was on CNN and in the newspapers because the the woman uh, who was a church member and discipline was being enacted upon her. She's the one that decided to make it public. Okay, so here is uh, the letter from the elders at Grace Community Church. Quote, dear Rebecca. We find great difficulty in writing this letter to you. The relationship that God has permitted us to experience together spans the distance between deep joys and intense trials. But this present situation really tests the quality of our love. Above all else, our desire is that you will sense the love that motivates this letter. Our love for you compels us to pursue that which is best for you. It has been brought to our attention and to the attention of the elders and it has been confirmed by you that you are involved in a sexually immoral relationship with a man who is not your husband. God gave sex as a gift to be enjoyed only by a man and a woman within a marriage relationship. The Bible states clearly that a follower of Jesus Christ is not to participate in any type of sexually immoral relationship, equating it with idolatry and describing it as a sin against God and against your body and against the temple of the Holy Spirit. Participating in such behavior is sin which directly violates the expressed will of God. All such behavior is to be repented of and can be forgiven by God. Since 2007, you have been an active member of Grace Community Church. The standard for life and godliness has always been God's Word, the Bible. As you know, it is our responsibility as elders and shepherds of God's flock that we be neither speculators who invent new doctrines which please us, nor editors who excise old doctrines which displease us. 
But we are called to be stewards. God's stewards dispensing faithfully to God's household the truths committed to us in Scripture. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Any Christian who refuses to submit to the sound words of the Bible, the teachings that accord with godliness, displays an insubordinate heart which is puffed up with conceit. The elders have attempted to contact you for a meeting to further explain and to resolve this issue. Unfortunately, you have refused our efforts. Therefore, you leave us with no other choice but to carry out the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ, which are divinely designed to lead a sinning brother or sister to repentance and restoration laid out in Matthew chapter 18. In a spirit of love, gentleness, patience, fairness, and without hypocrisy, certain members of Grace Community Church have carried out the first two steps of the discipline process by reproving you in private, Matthew 18.15, and reproving you in the presence of witnesses, Matthew 18.16. However, you have refused to listen to them. Your refusal to repent and to be restored to your relationship to God and His church leaves us with no other alternative than to carry out the third step of the discipline process. According to Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, we intend to, quote, tell it to the church. Unless you repent of this sin and agree to meet with the elders regarding this issue, this third step will be carried out publicly on Sunday, January 4th. In order to avoid this, you may contact us through the church office phone number. We sincerely hope you will receive this in the spirit of love in which it is intended. Our prayer is that you would repent of your sin, return to God soon, and permit Him to help you in this area. May God keep you and guide you sincerely in the love of Christ, the elders of Grace Community Church. End quote. Now, if members with that leadership were not to submit and to obey the Scripture, and thus the leadership of the elders here, it would be profoundly unloving to this sister in the Lord. Elders rule, and as we saw last week, finally, we teach. And we saw that that teaching aspect and responsibility of the elders is on one hand protecting the flock against false doctrine and positively commending and exhorting and laying out scripturally the glorious picture of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to just notice verse 22 in Hebrews chapter 13. The writer, he goes on to say here at the end of the letter, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you, Brief. 
<laughs> That's brief. If you read fast through Hebrews, it'd take you an hour. But he says, bear with it. What do you mean? It means hear. Keep hearing the Word come like through the sermon he preached here in letter. Hear it. Examining the Scripture. Examining your heart. Being moved and convicted by preaching. That is a part of obey and submit. That's clear, I think. Okay, now let me put this in here. But Joe, I don't get anything out of your preaching. Okay, fair. Here's my advice. And I, I sincerely mean it. First, pray. Pray in order to make sure that's not a problem with you. Okay, remember in this letter, the writer knew that I got all this kind of stuff to teach you, and, 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 and it's just I can't do it because. Because why? Because you're not that intellectually uh, smart? Or, no. He says because you're dull of hearing. So, in other words, make sure, pray. Make sure it's not a heart issue with you and that you have a good conscience. And then that's still true. Then this is what I'd say. And that's the only problem. You're not under discipline. Come to us elders. We will happily release you. And say, is there a place you can get fed? Is there a place that's biblical and what the shepherds put for you? You, you get you get that. That's helpful to you. We will happily release you to go to a place where you can feed on the Word of God if this place isn't it. Okay? Now, having said that, bear with this word of exhortation. That same word in the Greek, bear with here, is the same word Paul used in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Now, I'm going to read the first four verses as we're closing here. Paul says to Timothy as a pastor, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. I charge you, Timothy, to what? Preach. Proclaim. Announce. Be clear week in and week out. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will... Here's the word. For the time is coming when people will not endure. Bear with sound teaching. But instead, they're having itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So, submission to biblically oriented leadership in the local church 
means we must endure sound teaching. So pray for me. Pray for the elders here in Abundant Grace. Because the temptation to want to please people and the temptation to want to gather more people into the local church is a strong temptation in this world. And because of that, many brother pastors, more than they probably know, let it dictate what they will not say from their pulpits. Or what they will say. They will judge, for instance, that the doctrine of election and God's sovereignty too controversial to be clear about. Even though it's clearly in the Bible for the good of the flock's souls. Or, or, or no way in our day and age or our culture will they teach on much less practice church discipline according to 1 Corinthians 5 or Matthew chapter 18. Many, I mean, I mean look, I, I watched a person who's a friend of mine, week in and week out, be so skillful on Sunday morning to open the Bible and to never cut very deep. To never come to conclusions on behalf of the people to say, I'm saying this, thus not that. The Gospel means this, thus not that. But instead, can fill the time with stories and be entertaining and people can listen and laugh as they go. And week after week after week after week, there was no sharp edge whatsoever. Everything was like a dull, round bowling ball and you never knew where he stood on anything. And you know, I, I know the benefit of that. Nobody is offended. That's a real temptation. I'm not just letting pray for us here. So, Paul says, Timothy, preach the Word. And church, endure it. Bear with it. Hear it. We don't want to become one who has ears that are just itching for someone to fill it with something other than that. The Word of God is a precious, precious gift. The Gospel is everything. And church leadership is a gift from Jesus. So treasure it. Obey and submit to biblical, Christ-centered elders. Lord is a sheep and there's an under-shepherd here and on behalf of Your people here, I pray not only that You have given ears to hear, but You will continually give us ears to hear the preciousness of this text May You give us better better understanding as 
members of your church of what has been said. And may you continually help us here as elders rule better, think clearer, and be more loving to the glory of your Son, Jesus. Father, we pray. Amen.